Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.5.2. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new in the world of open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trendy repos, some feature repos from the blog, as well as our audio podcasts. If you're on Twitter, follow Changelog Show, Changelog Jobs, and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. This episode is sponsored by GitHub Jobs. Head to thechangelog.com slash jobs to get started. If you'd like us to feature your job on this show, select Advertise on the Changelog when posting your job, and we'll take care of the rest. Our friend Zencoder, a startup focused on tools and services for video website developers, is looking for a smart person who is also a Ruby and Rails engineer. Perks include stock options and a growing startup, relocation assistance to the Bay Area, and freedom. They trust you. Check it out at lg.gd slash 9g. And our friends over at Store Envy, the Tumblr for e-commerce, are looking for a lead champion of codes, a Rails engineer, and a president of Beautiful Things, a UI designer. Both are full-time positions, and based on a recent tweet, they're offering a 5K bonus. Check it out at lg.gd slash 9h and 9i. That would be our buddy John Crawford, who uh, I ran into down at South by Southwest. We had a fun time in Austin. Uh, Bailed a little early on the conference, but uh, had to get back to some work stuffs. But uh, handed out a lot of stickers, met a lot of um, fans of the show. Got to meet a lot of you in, in person. Some fun times down there, but I understand you had some fun times. Uh, back home, interviewing John Long from Serve. Yeah, I went solo on us one. Talked to John Long of uh, Radiant and Serve fame. We covered all things Radiant, the community, optimism, and open source. We also talked a little bit about website prototyping with Serve, which is uh, pretty awesome. And I hear you guys use it at HP. We do. You know, I'm anxious to hear this episode because uh, it, if you're building a Rails application and, and uh, you've looked at Staticmatic or some other prototyping tools, take a look at Surf because it's by far the easiest drop-in replacement uh, once you actually get to your Rails application. It's just the view layer that you can just snap right in there. Yeah, Surf is awesome. It's perfect for those who love those common Rails front-end tools like Haml, SAS, and Compass. Uh, it's pretty easy to deploy to Heroku. But a simple brochure website. It's even, you know, it's production ready, so you can deploy to Roku. It's really, really awesome. You guys also talked about Radiant and some of the backstory? Yeah, a lot about the, the first Ruby CMS. We also talked about John, uh, John's stint into design and how he got involved with uh, the Ruby Lang website and what that led to for Serve. And it was, uh, sorry, what I guess ultimately it was Serve because Serve kind of came from Radiant, but it was really uh, the kickstart for Radiant. Fun episode. Should we get to it? Let's do it. joined today by John Long, proprietor of Wiseheart Design. I'm running this show solo today, so uh, John's with me. He's the creator of Radiant CMS. We're going to talk about this and a lot of fun front-end developer stuff in this wild world of open source. But, John, how are you today? Uh, doing well. Doing well. So, John, for the folks who do not know who you are, I, I don't know why they wouldn't, but uh, why don't you give a brief inter- introduction about uh, who you are and what you've been up to. Okay. Um, I do uh, freelance uh, design work. I've been doing it for a number of years now. Um, and I guess uh, at the beginning of my freelance career, um, I was involved in the redesign of Ruby Lang. Um, so a lot of people know me from that. Um, and for Ruby Lang, I also created um, Radiant CMS, um, which is a content management system that uh, is well-known in the Rails world. 
So, yeah, that's who I am. Um, I live at home. I have a dog, Lily. So, <laughs> yeah. Very cool. That's actually how I know you from back in the day, and and I love the design that you did for the Ruby website. Um, it's it's definitely awesome. But I didn't know that uh, Radiant came out of that project. What was that like? Um, that was at a point in my life where I was really optimistic about the value of open source contributions. Um, in the sense that I actually took about six months and programmed. Uh, Radiant CMS. I was living at home with my parents. I uh, had a job in Chicago and had moved back and I thought, I want to do freelance stuff. So what would be better than like to have a content management system that you wrote for websites, you know? So I, yeah, it was, it was kind of like doing my own little startup, but with kind of open source aims, I guess. And, um, yeah, during that year, launched Radiant, it, it ended up kind of paying off. Um, I uh, made contact with the pragmatic programmers uh, through that uh, experience and was able to do work some work for them, which was another great sort of portfolio piece. But as I look back on it, it probably wasn't the best way to start a freelance career, I guess. Um, By developing a CMS, you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't actually ended up doing a lot of websites that are, like, CMS-focused kind of thing. Um, I had, uh, in my other job, we had done a lot of content management stuff, um, but that wasn't where I ended up, like, carving out my little niche. I ended up more in the... um, the web app space um, rather than the website space and Radiant's much more in the website space. So it's uh, interesting. So when you actually picked up the idea of the CMS, were you starting to work on RubyLang or was this a project that kind of started in parallel with it for a, for a niche or a need that they needed? Well, at the time, um, Rails had just kind of come out and um, – Ruby Lang was, let's see, how did that all work? I was working in Chicago, and at a certain point, um, I was just like, man, this is the, the Ruby website is just really bad. I mean, it's very, like, it used a lot of red in the header and different things like that. Red everywhere, red and pink. And it was hard to read. Um, it was basically just a blog. And I was getting to use Ruby at work as a developer and just felt like it needed something better. So I sent a post out to the mailing list and suggested that we form an identity team, much like um, the Mozilla Firefox identity team, which had just had great success in designing the Firefox icon and all those kinds of things. And the idea caught on and... I ended up um, getting to be part of that team. Um, we did the design and everything. We got all of that rolling. And then it was like, well, how are we going to deploy this thing? And um, Why the Lucky Stiff was actually on the Ruby Identity team at the time. And 
he gave a go at it using, he had a command line based thing. It was kind of like a precursor to maybe Jekyll. Um, it like generated and then I don't know if it FTP things over how it worked exactly, but you ran it on your local box and um, we gave a go with, with that and it, it like didn't work uh, for what we were trying to do. So we were stuck with a lot of, I guess, Ruby-like solutions that just weren't really well done. And I had had some experience at my old job doing um, a text pattern site. Um, I had written a uh, custom, we used a lot of um, RHTML running on mod Ruby. Um, so it was really more akin to PHP uh, or something like that uh, because it was just ERB uh, plus some custom classes that we had written. And so I had written kind of a templating system around that and was really opinionated over what I thought should be in a content management system. I saw that Rails was there and I thought, wow, I could just you know, spend some time, a couple of months, hack this thing together. And so I kind of made a commitment to do it, and it was sort of like once it was out of my mouth, I had to do it. And um, I don't think I really anticipated it was going to take like six months to do the major development on Radiant, um, or five months or something like that. Um, but we were able to get that done Um Launched the Ruby website successfully. I think it, was, it ended up being around August by the time we had all the pieces in place. They had to do like a server upgrade so that it could run Rails and, and some different things like that. And so what was it that actually took Radiant to become, I guess, more of the, the more mainstream Ruby CMS available out there? I mean, it was the first. Um, and I think I think that... Being the first and also being um, – well, we we made a commitment kind of early on. Um, David, um, the way that he talked about Rails and the opinionated development and all of those types of things, what Rails was going to be and what it wasn't going to be, like that was all fresh in the air and like everybody was breathing this, um, you know – Stuff and, the Kool-Aid. Yeah, drinking the Kool-Aid, not breathing it, but <laughs> yeah, drinking exactly. the Kool-Aid. And um, I, I was like, yes, yes, Radiant is going to just be focused on this one area. And the way that I'm going to serve those other things is I'm going to do a plug-in system from the beginning. And having made that commitment after launching Radiant, it took like several more months to <laughs> build the plug-in system for it. And um, I think I ended up writing the basic idea for it. And uh, Sean Krebs, uh, at a certain point, started working on something he called Shards, um, which was a way of uh, allowing programmers to declare um, where certain partials should be included in views. Um, so you could monkey patch to insert controllers and things like that that you needed to, but shards allowed you to make modifications to the views so that plugins didn't have two plugins that overrode the same view wouldn't conflict. Instead, you could plug in pieces into the view instead of overriding. 
so um yeah it kind of it kind of grew like that and once we had the plugin system in place, it really sort of developed on its own um and since uh, maybe the first eight months or so, there's been like just a group of people using it and um, developing stuff for it. Um, we've done different things since then. We've got an extension registry uh, with like over there's over 200 plugins for it. But because there's kind of this ecosystem there. Um, even though I feel like there's, we're still learning a lot about, and frankly, just we don't have enough time to make Radiant what we want it to be, what we know it can be. Um, even though it's still green in some ways, there's a lot of people that are passionate about using it and enjoy it. Um, so it's really the community that kind of formed around it. Um, and it, re- it required a lot of effort in the beginning. I don't think that I could have launched Radiant kind of successfully if I hadn't been pretty devoted to it in the beginning. But it's it's become um, sort of a self-sustaining community to where now I'm, uh, I turned over the lead development to Sean Cribs. At one point, Sean has gone on. Jim Gay has taken up that mantle. We've got several people that are on the core team. Um, I mean, it, I really feel like I could step out of the picture and it would still, you know, continue to go. I haven't done that yet because I still have vision for where the product can go. And we haven't totally achieved what I was wanting to achieve with the product when we, when we first introduced it. But, um, I think, I think that's the community itself is the main reason that Radiant has, has done so well. Um, in terms of being that, Go to CMS within the the Rails community. There are certainly other content management systems now, um, and I'm I'm not real aware of the communities that are that are around those. But it still seems that Radiant it's the community that kind of holds it all together. So when you look at when you look at Radiant and what it uh, what it is now, but you said a couple of times there which you still have vision for what is the the vision in comparison to where it is now and where you'd like to see rating whether you're part of the team or not. Yeah. I think um for me a big big sort of part of this is seeing it be able to compete head to head with tools like WordPress. Um particularly on a usability level. Um I feel like we have some grounds to cover there. Some of it, too, is just getting good pieces in place to handle, like, the asset management side of it um, and and different things of that nature. And part of our um, – part, part of the, the push um, with the asset management – asset management still hasn't made it into core. And w- one of the big development efforts right now is that, that – going to begin launching into, particularly as we move to Rails 3, is dividing up the core so that different parts are easy to take out. Um, and once we have that kind of design in place, um, it'll be easier to have like a default um, asset management solution that if you like a different approach, you can plug in that different approach and it would still 
like work with the rest of the system. Um, so some of that, some of it, some of it has to do with we've been working through the best way to build a modular plugin type architecture within Rails. Um, so there's a piece there, and then there's a piece with just the usability, the friendliness of it. Um, I've, I've actually been using WordPress a lot on uh, one of our church's websites, and um, it, it definitely has, uh, it's a lot more user-friendly uh, to the, the end user. Radiant is a whole lot more powerful in terms of like what it allows you to do um, with the code, which is where it's it's really really fun to use, but uh, it's still got a ways to go in terms of competing with something like WordPress head to head. So WordPress is more of a user friendly kind of GUI kind of scenario where you can also still develop plugins, but it seems like Radiant is more of a a hacker CMS mostly that, uh, like you said, on the need to code, you can really dive in and do a lot more with it. Is it, is it, uh, is that about the case? Yeah. Um, I mean, what, like, just if, for instance, um, the macro language that Radiant uses for its templates, Radius, um, is accessible, like, throughout the system, whether you're on a page or, um, you're in a layout, or we've also got a concept kind of like partials, we call them snippets. Um, so you can use the macro language wherever you are. Um, and part of Radiant's sort of, uh, ethos is that, uh, the idea that, um, like Ruby, we want it to be, um, a system that provides a tremendous level of power, but it's very accessible, uh, to people that are like, coming on board and learning. So even though you might discover a page that has radius tags in it, for instance, if you're just a content editor, um, you can go in and like make changes relatively easily um, with only understanding like markdown or textile, something like that. Um, so so there, there's definitely is a lot more, I guess you could say raw power um, in what Radiant allows you to do um, out of the box, but it's still not as user-friendly to the end user. And so as we continue to develop the interface, I saw you had a blog post about having more uh, design savviness in it, and you were doing some prototyping with uh, the navigation and whatnot. How do you get more designers involved to um, not only make Radiant an awesome, you know, CMS from a backend standpoint, how you have asset management and ease of deployment and, you know, those kinds of scenarios, but how do you also design this interface uh, in an open source community that's, that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really kind of an open question. Um, it's, it's the one area of Radiant that I have not been able to, like, completely relinquish to someone else. Um, being the design part of piece of it, um, and it, it's it's something that we're experimenting with. One of one one of the things that we're doing is we have a separate project uh, where all the HTML development takes place. We actually use Serve for that, um, and the idea being that a designer wouldn't have to like understand Rails and all those things in order to contribute. He could just download the prototype project. They have got this idea for something, and 
you know, work it on GitHub or whatever, and um, then everybody would be able to download it and check it out and see what it looked like before it went into development kind of thing. So I think part of it for us, um, WordPress has definitely gotten a lot more exposure, uh, for instance, and there's um, a lot of designers use it. Um, and so they have had more input into the design itself from the community. And the Radiant community is not that big yet in in the same sense. Um, so I think that part, part of it is just we haven't gotten to a point where we have a lot of designers that are, you know, have spare cycles and want to contribute to the way that the CMS works. And part of it is um, we need to do a better job of, of like bringing those people into the community, I guess. And still experimenting with different approaches and how design could take place in more of a collaborative kind of way. I think that's certainly difficult in this um in this source world, I mean, if you're just a just let's just say a designer, not so much someone who dabbles in a lot of the code. Maybe you're just the designer piece of it, or maybe you're dabbling more into you know HTML prototyping, but you're not using tools like Camel, SAS, Compass. You're still kind of uh, on the actual language itself, HTML and CSS. Um, and then you enter this world of Git and GitHub, and it gets a little intensive. And now you've been introduced to the command line, if that's never been a place for you before. So it can be kind of hard to jump into these environments and, um, you know, use your true skills in this unusual world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think for sure, and particularly rails is, is not an easy environment for a designer who doesn't know a lot to jump in and work with. Um, I mean, when you compare it to stuff like WordPress and so many people out there that are using WordPress and don't know anything about, you know, or SAS, or, um, right. yeah, or Git, you know, I mean, they, they FTP the thing over to their, you know, server, and they're, FTP. they love it. I mean, it's just, yeah, <laughs> FTP, who, who does that anymore, right? Well, right. Most of the world does, and, you know, Rails is um, is awesome, but it's, it's a foreign language to so many people, and um, so... Well, you know, if they're using FTP, they must not be even using um, any version control systems either. So just thinking Git, they're thinking, why do I have to version my, my code? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> getting a theme and just making modifications and you've got, you know the story. You, you make a change and you call index.old.html. Right. All, all of that type stuff. So. Yeah, you have version in the actual ways you rename the files and whatnot, and then you even have like an old directory above it so that yeah. you can put those old files after they've yeah. cluttered the 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 file system that you're trying to mess with. So speaking of the designers and um, trying to prototype, you mentioned Serve as part of Radiant, and you use Serve to actually prototype the interface for Radiant. Um, looking also at Radiant, I see a lot of similarities in how you list pages and how that hierarchy kind of gets displayed in that UI. And it's in Serve, it's more of like right there in TextMate. Was that yep. it, uh, was that just a, a natural extraction from the visual UI that was in in Radiant? Um, I think that a lot of that is um, is the result of, of building a, uh, a lot of content-heavy sites at my old job and. I began to think 
in terms of like a hierarchy um, of pages. And um, that was something that I was at the time really frustrated with about a lot of CMSs is they didn't, and even I don't even, I don't know, does WordPress allow you to arrange things in a hierarchy now? Um, I don't use it enough to know, but I think they have a pretty okay UI. I think you can order the pages, I think. Yeah, I think they use kind of a concept of menus, but maybe the pages are all flat or something. I'm not, I'm not sure how it works exactly, but I know that the um, when I was working on Radiant in particular, I was really wanting it to be something that kind of reflected that um, concept of the, the URL and content being structured underneath uh, URLs. Um, so, and in a very similar way to the way that it works on the actual file system. So when I was working on serve, a lot of the same concepts sort of fell out um, in that regard. So before we dive too deeply into talking about serve and, and what it is, let's Let's let the listeners actually know what serve is. So rating is a CMS. It's deployed. It's got a UI. It's got um, a whole different deploy structure. But what is serve in comparison? So at its smallest, serve is um, a uh, a rack-based um, web server uh, for files. Um, it handles ERV, HAML, um, uh, SAS, it's, uh, it can, you can integrate Compass into it. Um, so that's kind of the technical, like, what it is um, being a web server. It's also, um, or the way that I would describe it is it's a rapid prototyping framework for web applications, and specifically uh, Rails applications. And what I mean by that is that Rails applications have um, your model, your view, your controller, um, and serve is basically like having a Rails application without the models and the controllers. You just have the views. Um, so you, as a designer, if that's the part that you mostly work on, um, that's serve allows you to just focus on the views uh, without having to build out or have built out for you the other components, the models and the controller. Um, so you're able to prototype um, what you want the application to be in HTML and CSS without worrying about how the back end run and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And so prototyping, this is, a, this is obviously a fun thing anyways because I know that um, as a front-end developer designer in the, in the Rails slash Ruby world, um, trying to iterate and trying to, to prototype before was always a, uh, a PETA. It was always a pain in the butt. Yeah. And now that I know about Serve, my life is so much happier now. Just being able to easily pick up a project with all my fun tools in it and build it out you know, based on URLs and, and all that good stuff. So URL-based design, uh, you, you, in, it seems like in Serve you pay a lot of attention to that. You have this notion of redirects. What are some other cool features that uh, that uh, the listeners should know about for Serve? Um, well, in regards to URLs, um, one of the things that Serve does is, um, like some web servers do or can be set up to do, um, by default, it allows you to append a flash 
uh, to a file name without the extension um, in order to um, get a slash-based URL instead of a URL that ends in an extension. Um, so one advantage to it when you compare it to like normal HTML is, is that um, it actually allows you to begin to prototype those URLs in addition to the HTML um, that you're going to want for the application. It does have redirects, um, a very simple syntax there. You just open up an empty file um, with an extension redirect on it and put the URL in that you want it to redirect to, and then it will redirect over to that other URL. And that's handy because there's a lot of times when you're programming or doing an uh, application and you want there to be kind of a create action um, or something of that nature that creates and then redirects to a new URL. Um, so having the ability to put a redirect in the place of where that action will be um, is helpful. You can also do um, email templates for text-based emails. Um, for prototyping that aspect, which gets sent out from the server. And it's not that you couldn't just have a text file or something like that, but serve's got it in place so that you can put the headers that you want on that email. It just renders in the browser as HTML, but it would allow you to, to kind of specify spec for the developer. You know, this is the address that I want it to be sent from. This is what the subject should be. This is the text of the email, the URL, that kind of thing. So there's just a number of aspects of that are particularly familiar to Rails developers that um, that Serves tries to make easy for the designer to to give hints to the developer as to how the application should work. And so, do you also have uh, like tie-ins to like helpers and and other tools that like link to? And you've got a number of different helpers there that are just kind of baked into normal Rails. So porting your your view code is is pretty seamless. Yes, um, we do have a number of uh, really, the really common view helpers from Rails um, linked to. Um, you have access to the request and the response uh, params. Um, a couple of text massaging ones for like escaping stuff, um, that kind of, of thing. And then you can also put your own view helpers in a module um, and those would get imported into the application. And what's what's interesting about that, if you're a designer and you're working on an application and occasionally you want to write something to make it, you know, you know a little bit about Ruby, but maybe not a whole lot, and you want to write something to um, sort of indicate a certain output or something like that, you throw it in a view helper, then the developer has that like as a guide as he pulls it into the application. And your view helper could be completely stubbed out and that it returns the same response every single time. Um, but then the developer would go in and he'd like actually make it work with real data or whatever it is. And there's that there's a nice decoupling essentially between what the designer is kind of focused on and what the developer can be focused on in the back end because the developer can also come in and put in some common view helpers uh, to allow the designer to be to be more flexible in um, 
the way that he's designing. Um, but it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be the same as what's currently in the application, I guess. Um, so they can work a little bit more independently, the designer and the developer. Sometimes if you're working in a Rails application as a designer, you can change one line of code and it like messes up something unintentionally. And so it's a little bit more guarded when you're working in your own space, which is a really nice aspect of Surf. So as a as a user of Surf, what are some of the fun things that you like uh, best about it and what are some of the fun ways that you use it? I I really love prototyping um, in general as it relates to applications and particularly having the ability to do um, layouts and partials um, in, in that Ruby-friendly way that, that I love about Rails view templates. Um, I think that's where a lot of the fun is for me with Serve. Um, it, I can remember um, on one of the early applications that I worked on, sitting down with a client, and um, we were we were working through the application, and I had a, a layout designed for the application. And we were like, what should go on this screen? What should the fields be? And he would tell me, and I would just type inputs in, and it just came alive, like before our eyes kind of thing, because I already had some styles in there. And um, because I wasn't actually working with, like, static HTML files or something like that, there wasn't a lot of um, uh, code that I had to write in order to prototype the idea of something. And I went back later after that time with the client and was able to dress up the forms a little bit, change the style, a little couple of things. But just being able to capture that really rapidly right in front of the client's eyes, what they were thinking should go in on that page kind of thing um, was really, really helpful. Um, and that project itself went through, we, we actually went back and redesigned the look and feel of it. Um, and that was a matter of swapping in a new layout and it like all flowed and worked like in the separate prototype application. Um, so I, I think like the maintenance of your HTML mockups is probably the biggest thing that I like about Serve and that it, it cleans that up. It allows me to use the patterns that I'm familiar with in Rails, but I'm not working directly in the Rails space either, so I'm not getting in the way of the developer um, making the changes. And it, it allows me to be a lot more conceptual, I think, in the sense of just sort of dreaming about what a feature should do instead of being worried, I need another controller here, um, that kind of thing. And, and actually, because I do both design and development, that's almost needed for there to be that separation because I've begun thinking too much about the back end. And pretty soon I've lost time where I should have just been writing HTML and CSS. All right, you probably generate a controller and next thing you know, you're writing out the 
the view code and in, in your controller and whatnot, and then dropping out to the view instead of actually crafting the the UI and thinking about that. Yeah, kind of keeps you focused. And I mean, there's I I work with a lot of web applications, and um, we make changes, significant changes at times. And if I was having to think about or adjust the way like the controllers worked and all of that kind of thing, just to prototype out a new way of doing something. There's times when like we decide not to go down that path, um, not to spend the money to develop that feature that way. And the because we're able to prototype it in HTML, um, get the feel for the flow, get the feel for the features, the way the feature is actually going to work, we don't end up having to spend those dollars on the development um, at, at that stage too. So, or even a separate branch that somehow they get merged, and it's who yeah. knows what kind of the mess that causes. Right. That's uh, that's that that tends to be the road that I'm in. I end up being on the team, and somehow I end up in my own redesign branch, and I'm like the only person there. I'm like the designer in the front end doing all the prototyping that you're talking about, and I've got devs in in other corners of the of the Git repo that are doing their own thing, and it's like, at what point do we merge and? And what kind of havoc is this going to cause? Yeah. And I mean, you probably have to get somebody when you're in that situation to come like sit by you while you do the merge or whatever. Yeah, you're kind of scared to do it. Yeah. You're kind of like, I don't want to merge this branch because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I always feel a little bit guilty when I like do that kind of stuff because I'm not like in the code of, you know, all the time and I just know that I'm going to break something unintentionally and then the developer's going to come back and be upset. And I've had the good fortune of working with really nice developers, but it's still like, Oh, what am I going to do here? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I appreciate serve a lot from that perspective that it's my world. You know, I can feel free to break things and, and, you know, as I'm moving stuff around and it's not a big deal. So we talked about the serve as, as a rack app. We also talked about it being, you know, heavily guarded for prototyping, but what happens when your prototype graduates? Let's say you're not building a Rails app, you're just building a UI in general, just let's say a brochure website or uh, a light website with maybe 15 pages, 10 pages, something like that, that isn't uh, very dynamic, it's not, it's pretty static, and what do you do when, when that kind of application grows up? Um, well, I mean, it's, uh, it is a rack application service, so you can deploy it just like you can any other rack application, which means you can, um, you know, deploy on Heroku or, or whatever Ruby host you like. Um, so it is useful that way. You can also use things like Rack Cascade with a Rails application, for instance, running on Rack to um, Cascade. Um, if, if the application itself doesn't have that URL, then it goes to the uh, serve application um, to fetch that content, essentially. So there's, there's some nice, because it is a rep rack app, there's some really nice things that you can do in terms of integrating it with um, existing stuff or running it on its own um, at a different different place. Yeah, I almost see serve as kind of like the perfect pages control that I've always wanted in my Rails app. And it's almost kind of you want to see the two play hand in hand because you have this Rails app that is, you know, got a full back end, but you also have this lightweight marketing slash brochure website on the front of it to 
to pin up too, but how do you build those in a in a normal MVC kind of schema in a Rails app? Yeah, I think I think that there's actually some room there for um, for for serve to grow. Um, it would it would be great one day to be able to share layouts uh, between your serve application and your Rails application without a lot of work. Um, I, there, there actually is some old crusty code in there, I think, that ran on Rails 2 that allows you to, um, yeah, run. you could mix in to a controller in Rails the serve functionality, basically, and then it would become your page controller and it'd have access to the same things that Rails does. Um, but it hasn't been worked on in a while, so <laughs> it probably would break if you tried it. Oh boy! Yeah. Well, you mentioned that uh, when you tackled the uh, the grand project, which was Radiant uh, back in '06, that you kind of felt like uh, you were trying to really tackle something big. But then, uh, not long ago, you started a project called Acoustic, which intends to kind of bridge the gap between a Ruby slash Natural world and maybe even kind of bring some of the things we know about in Django and Rails into a more lightweight Ruby web framework. What is uh, what is Acoustic? What is this about? Yeah, um, this is really... Uh, acoustic is, is sort of my, like, pipe dream um, web framework kind of thing. Um, it's It's one of those things that I almost feel, like, foolish working on because, like, everybody has... Yeah, Rails is such an awesome framework, and Sinatra is amazing. It does small stuff. Like, you know, is there room for anything else kind of thing? And I I feel like Rails has come a long way in terms of modularity, um, particularly with Rails 3, but it still seems really heavy at times. Um, and I, I've, I've written a little bit about this on my blog, um, I, I wrote a post what, what Rails could learn from Django, um, some different things like that, and really trying to um, remove maybe the number of files that you have to create in order to work within the, the application, give you more flexibility in terms of where things are. Um, one of the things that Acoustic allows you to do is have your controllers and your views um, all in the same directory. Um, so what's the advantage of that? Well, if you're trying to structure something modular, uh, well, in a modular way, um, you could essentially have a part of the um, application that was like a, a Git sub-module because you're able to um, uh, have that just that folder, those controllers, those views, all of that in a separate uh, repository. Um, so acoustic is, it's a kind of, its aim is to be maybe a more modular rails type framework, but it's still very much a toy. Um, like it's not fully implemented in any way. Like you couldn't, you couldn't download acoustic and run anything on it right now. Um, it's, it's got a, a, a router in it, um, it's got a basic controller structure, um, but I'm still building out like major portions of functionality, and so and it's it, 
really right now it's kind of a back burner project. Um, the hope with it would be that maybe it would either someone would adopt it and it would become something real or that it would influence the design of stuff like rails maybe eventually. Um, you mentioned earlier in the call, like really early in the call, that um, that you were highly optimistic about open source back in the day when you were starting to work with Ruby Lang on the redesign and and Radiant. Has your focus changed towards being highly optimistic? Because you just said that you you hope that it kind of influences or maybe somebody adopts it. Yeah, that assumes that uh, that the open source world is just <laughs> yeah. That's kind of optimistic. Yeah. It's got three watchers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um. I am very optimistic about open source in general. I guess what I meant um, in reference to that was that that open source is valuable to extremely valuable to the person who is starting a freelance like business. And the, the thing that I learned is, is that yes, it can be, but it can also be. Um, it can sort of take over your life, which is what it did with me in Radiant. Um, for a number of months, you know, just I was committed to not letting her question go unanswered on the mailing list and th- things like that. And it just, you know, if I, I couldn't have done it if I wasn't living at home with my parents at the time kind of thing. Um, so I think that when I say I was really optimistic about open source back then, I was really optimistic that it was going to like bring in business and let me do some cool things. And I feel like I was fortunate to get the projects and things that I did. And some of it was a result of my open source work, but my time could have probably been spent way better, you know, even just cold calling people offering my services than working on a open source project for six months. But I'm glad I did it too. I mean, it was a great experience. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's just more in terms of, thinking about where I put my energy in and, and all, of the, all of that kind of stuff in the future. I'm much more aware of the effort that it takes to run a successful open source project. Um, and maybe I'm a little more jaded than I should be about that um, as a result of working on something that's kind of as large as Radiant. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, I know that uh, Radiant has done really well, and it's got a a huge community. I mean, you even got your own GitHub group to to manage that, and I think inside of that uh, that group, you've got uh, you know forty nine members of that group. You've got thirty nine repos in that uh, in that group. So obviously, you know, we should be optimistic about open source, and you did a great job with leading this and starting this. But speaking towards the the community that's propped up around Radiant, what were some of the things that you think you've, you and the community did right to, to enforce and, and help elevate and, and provide support to the Radiant community and Radiant as a project? Um, I think the, the early success of Radiant was the result of um, the plug-in system. I was very, very dogmatic about what would go in and what wouldn't go in. Um, and I look back on that dogmatism now, and I'm grateful for it in some ways. But I'm also, I also realize that um, one of the the important things about an open source project is that you have a way for people to be able to make contributions. 
Um, and in the beginning, I was really, really guarded about stuff. And part of it was that the tools that were available, um, Subversion, we, we had our own Subversion repository, and the tools just didn't allow you to take contributions like in the way that it happens on GitHub. Um, now on GitHub, if you trust somebody, you can press a single button and their changes get merged in kind of thing. Um, now, you should be running the tests on that before you do that, but it, yeah. the point is that it's it's that easy now um, to pull in changes from other people. So at the time, I can remember when Sean started using Git and GitHub came out, and this was before Radiant um, was was doing that. At the time, we were a whole lot more guarded about like who could commit stuff and and how. And there's there's definitely it's a challenge because you want to be clear about the direction you're going in, um, but you also don't want to like discourage creativity and um, contributions because there's going to come a time if your open source project is successful when you just get burnt out um, if you're doing all of the work, right? Um, so I think one of the things that I think about more is, like, how can I allow someone else to take over this responsibility? Um, and it's hard because, like, um, well, I'm I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist in terms of the way that I look at code. I'm a perfectionist in the way I look at interfaces and all of that kind of stuff. And so, like, if something is not perfect when it goes into the application, there's a part of me that, like, dies, you know? Um, it's just, it's so important to me that it like, it be right. And yet I, I've had to kind of learn to, to back down from that and recognize, you know what, this is the, the, the way that like it works when you're on a team, you know, one person contributes something, it may not be like the best, but it's like filling a gap and, it's progress. Yeah, it's progress. It's going in the right direction. And um, so I think in some ways, as far as the way that Radiant went, I was really fortunate. Um, well, I was really fortunate that Sean Cripps came along in particular um, in that he was able to slowly kind of wrench the code away from my fingers <laughs> and start committing <laughs> stuff. And then at different points, Sean gave other people their rights to their project. And, you know, at, at some point you kind of realize that like you can't do it all yourself. And that if, if anything's going to happen, you've, you've got to like turn over the reins and let people go with it. And, People grow into these things, which is really neat to me, watching the way that open source works. Um, we've, we've definitely seen on Radiant um, our developers like grow in their, the, way, the way that they uh, interact with people, um, in the way that they, their coding style improves, and various things like that. And giving them kind of a, a home, a, a place where they can they can do that um, is really, really vital to um, successful open source, I guess. 
Um, so it's it's been a learning experience um, working with radio. Um, I think I think I've been really fortunate the way that things have fallen out. Um, my dogmatism could have killed the project in the beginning. Um, I, I recognize that now, but um, I mean, and it came really close at a certain point, and it was just because we decided, you know, we're going to do an extension system that, um, you know, that that didn't happen because people had a a place where they could work out their frustrations with the way that Radiant was in a different way. Um, so. So when you're not hacking on the client projects that uh, that you do, you'd mentioned that you work uh, with Trailian and and a few other client projects that you work on. But when you're not doing that and you're not hacking away at Serve or this uh, this fun dream called Acoustic or maybe even uh, managing or working on Radiant, what other open source projects uh, got you excited that you that you like to mess around with? Um, I am very excited about Compass right now. Um, that's a big one. Um, I am not as much of like a contributor to other open source projects as I probably should be. <laughs> um, I did commit some uh, or work on some different parts that were in early versions of Rails. Um, um, definitely having fun with, with Rack. Um, just getting to delve into that a little bit with Serve uh, has been fun. Um, I find it really fascinating that such a simple interface can be extended in so many cool ways. Um, There's a a little application out there, and actually it's a rack handler called um, Rack Lobster, which is a web application that prints out a lobster on the screen. Um, And I can remember when I discovered that, thinking that was the most hilarious thing. yeah, I, doing a little bit with jQuery plugins um, occasionally, um, writing some of my own. Um, I've done a lot with Prototype, and there's a library by Dan Webb um, that adds some class selector stuff to Prototype uh, that I enjoy. That's called Low Pro. Um, yeah. That would be a couple. And I think one of the the fun ones that uh, I like to dive deeper in with with you would be what you like about Compass and what uh, and you said Compass specifically and not SAS. So I'm kind of curious why you just said Compass. Oh, I guess I kind of think of Compass and SAS as being sort of the same thing now. <laughs> right, I, I kind of do too. I just wondered if there was a you know you kind of like what was happening in Compass more so than SAS. Yeah, I mean, I, I, both of those projects are definitely evolving. Um, I I guess the joy that I, I get out of it on a daily basis, just the stuff that uh, Chris Epstein has put into Compass, um, all the CSS3 stuff, um, being able to take advantage of that in a way that like works across browsers, um, I love that stuff. I don't think I would be messing around with CSS3 if it wasn't for, for Chris and Compass, because it's just a pain to write all of those attributes like 
80 times. <laughs> yeah, that's, it is probably the biggest. Um, I think that there's any CSS developer listening to this podcast right now, if you haven't touched SAS or Compass, you owe it to your future career to go get started right now. But um, yeah, especially when you're talking about CSS3. I, like, I just saw a, uh, a tweet today from uh, one of our good friends. Let me see if I can refresh my tweet screen so I don't uh, recall his name. Jeez, he he's so well known too, and I can't I can't recall why his name isn't uh, coming to my mind. But he works at uh, Intrudia, is really well known for writing tons and tons of plugins. He's more of a developer than he is a designer, but he's also a designer. And his name is Mike. Can't recall his last name. So horrible. Anyways, sorry, Mike. But um, but he had he had said basically that. Um, uh, geez, I totally lost the train of thought that I was even talking about. Basically, he was just saying that um, that because of SAS and because of Compass, um, he's he's or because of CSS three, he's like never touching Photoshop ever anymore. He's pretty much just you know having fun in Illustrator and right in the browser. Um, and that's kind of my take too. Is like as soon as I picked up CSS three, I pretty much don't even do that. And I probably am like you. I wouldn't have picked up CSS three sooner. Uh, as I have, or or even have as much fun with it, if it weren't for just writing one line to you know put out border radius versus eight. Yeah, I I I love that aspect of it. Um, SAS, I could say a lot on SAS too. Just um, the um, the way that it allows me to kind of write my own, um, to structure my code well as I'm writing CSS. Um, I I haven't so much developed. I wouldn't call it a library of SAS code that I use so much as I tend to copy modules from project to project. Um, so I have a typography module that's got a lot of defaults in it for the way that I like to do the style, you know, my typography. Um, and being able to do that, share the code in that way is, is huge. Um, and the way that I'm able to create small little modules that that do one thing and then um, use that everywhere throughout my code. Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's great. Yeah, I think, you know, Compass being able to framework in general, like it's people might be misguided with what Compass is and, you know, when you say it's a CSS frameworking tool, in the end the libraries within it aren't really frameworks like, for example, Blueprint and uh, 960GS. Those aren't really frameworks. Those are more so libraries as chris would say and compass theoretically is the frameworking tool because it allows you to truly create a framework of your working style like i'm sure you have a structure for your SaaS that makes sense within uh working with SaaS and compass and i do too and that's really what i love about it. it's like you can kind of get into your grooves find your optimizations find your ways that you streamline the way you do things and you can just like pattern that with compass and SaaS and just go yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Fancy Buttons is a good example of a um, of a framework, I guess, within this being distributed with Compass. Um, well, with Compass in mind. Um, just so, for those of you that don't know, uh, Fancy Buttons uh, contains a lot of CSS code for styling buttons in a bulletproof way. Um, and if you use it on a project, you can you get access to a couple of mix zones um, that would allow you to uh, 
create buttons with a single line of code. You just tell it like the colors that you want. I uh, pass a couple of options in, and it, it does the rest. Um, I almost think you should have made that uh, that project called. It should have been called Magic Buttons or or something like that. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> because I mean, it, know, it's like magic. If, if you know if you know Brandon Fancy's Fancy's kind of cool. You know, it's most excellent the most excellent Fancy Buttons project. <laughs> yeah. Now we love Brandon. He's been on the show before. You know that. Uh, um, but Brandon's awesome. Uh, met him a couple years ago at uh, at my friend's conference, LessConf, and uh, he's a good guy. And I, I certainly look up to him and his code and what he does. And he's you know he's big in um, the SaaS and Compass world. He's done a lot. And Fancy Buttons is is super super cool. Yep. But that's what I love a lot about Compass and a lot about SaaS. So I echo whenever I'm not doing pretty much anything I do do is is in and around the Compass ecosystem. Like I've got uh, a bootstrap for Serve that I do that's got a lot of my fun things in it because I've been using Serve quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, SaaS Compass is always in my projects and Hamble as well. But uh, I, I don't cry when I can't have Hamble, but I can certainly feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I could live without Hamble, but I probably couldn't live without SaaS now. It's just... So much as a part of what saves me time on my projects. Well, John, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your feelings about open source and your continued optimism for open source, uh, as well as the work that you've done with Radiant and building that community and the work you're doing on Serve and um, all the stuff that you bring to the community and the ecosystem. We, you know, we, I know that Wynn and I both, both certainly enjoy what you do and. I think you're an awesome designer, and it was fun having you on the show. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate the invite. It's, um, it's just great. I love what the changelog does, and it's, uh, it's fun to be on the show. Awesome. Thanks.